Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What the fuckadelics? What the fuck, O'Berry Thins? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. How's it going? I'm okay. I saw that film, The Lobster, last night. I talked to John C. Riley about it, and he was in it, obviously, but thought it was an interesting movie, and I went to see it, and it's sort of a mindfucker. It's a some uh, serious art film poetry. A lot of things coming at you in a way you've never seen before, and it, it puts a lot on you to process this abstract, somewhat surreal, but very vulnerable film about something that is not real per se. There's not a lot of commitment to the idea that you know, whatever culture this is that sends away its divorced or widowed people to a hotel that where they have a certain amount of time to meet uh, other mates before they are turned into an animal. And the only way they can get more time to meet their mates is to go out and tranquilize people who are called loners, people who are off the grid, out in the out in the woods, and bring them in to be, uh, I believe, transformed into animals. It's not sure. I'm not sure. But the flat affectation of the acting and the strange, surreal setting, yet very basic uh, human relationship ideas about uh, relationship dynamics, marriage, are all covered in this. But it's so abstract and so poetic that you just have to sit there and let your brain get fucked by this movie today on the show terry reed the uh singer songwriter who's been around for a long time i'm not sure that you would know him right away unless you know him you he certainly knew everybody else but he was around in the 70s he was one of the great uh white soul singers out of uh the uk had a record in 68 called Bang Bang, You're Terry Reed, and then another record, self-titled record in 69, then an amazing record called The River, called just River in 73, and a couple of records. He's been recording the whole way through, but the, the, the real notorious records are those first three, then Seat of Memory and Rogue Waves in 78, 79, then a handful of other records throughout 2013. Well, Light in the Attic is uh is issuing it's not really a reissue it is a reissue but it's it's called the other side of the river and i think it's got a lot of the takes that are on river uh but also some alternate takes and i talked to terry a lot about these alternate takes that were found it comes out friday may 20th remastered 
and it's got six never before heard tracks plus uh, alternate versions of uh, songs from River. You can go check that out wherever um, you get music, but do check out Light in the Attic. Their stuff is uh, is pretty amazing. It's uh, they do amazing reissues and some in uh, some original uh, records as well. Great label, Light in the Attic. I will tell you that right now. But Terry Reed, most people know him as the guy that turned down the lead singing position of Led Zeppelin. If you know that, if you know that story, but he knew everybody. And when I got an opportunity to talk to him, I knew his first three records. And then I was given the uh, the um, the new one, this uh, these reissues and never before uh, issued stuff from the mid 70s, early 70s to listen to. And it was stunning. And uh, and he's around. He lives nearby. Well, he's in the uh, he's in California. So I kind of jumped at the opportunity, but he was one of these guys that, you know, had been around England for so long and in the music business so long. He's got great fucking stories of all eras. But uh, I will give you a heads up on this, not a spoiler, but um, when I, if if you're young enough or old enough, or or maybe if you're young and interested, I mean, what's the first thing you think about when you, when you, uh, hear the name Brian Jones. You think like a Joe, you know, like a genius, like a, the original member of the Stones that defined their sound, a druggie, a guy who died or maybe got killed in a swimming pool that may or may, it depends on what conspiracy you, uh, you know, you, you decide to believe. Maybe you know Brian Jonestown Massacre, which has nothing to do with Brian Jones, really. But nonetheless, he was a Rolling Stone. He was an original Rolling Stone. And Terry Reed tells one of the best stories I've ever heard about Brian Jones. It's not a long story, but you just don't associate a personality, per se, to Brian Jones. You, per, you just associate him with the mythology of the Stones, that he died, that he was difficult, that he was a genius, that he had a drug problem. But, but he just becomes this person in one line in the story that Terry Reed tells. So look forward to that. You mind if I call my friend Jim Norton? My buddy Jim Norton is going to be out here, I think, yeah, it's like next week. May 26th, Jim Norton will be here in Los Angeles at the Novo. And May 27th, he'll be in Las Vegas, Nevada at the Mirage Mirage Hotel and Casino. You can go to jimnorton.com to buy tickets. Jim is one of the most honest, most uh, disgusting, most endearing, most crass and horrible, wonderful little men uh, out there performing comedy. I love him. And I just want to make sure that if there are anybody that uh, is a fan of Jim Norton that listens to this show and you didn't know he was coming, I want to make sure you know he's coming at the Novo here in L.A., May 26th. And let's get him on the phone. I talked to him in New York. He hosted a, a town hall thing at Sirius where he interviewed me. Did a great job, and I did uh, Opie and Jimmy's show. I enjoyed that. But uh, I love Jim, and I'm going to call him. We're going to call Jim, and we're going to talk to him, and we're going to... Uh, Tell you again when his gigs are. So let me let me get him on the phone. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say 
essay in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello? Jim, is that, are you there? Is that you? Hi, Mark. It is me. Yeah, I'm surprised this worked out. These connections never seem to work out properly. <laughs> yeah, I, I find that with all connections of all yeah, kinds. Yeah, that's exactly like, it. Yeah, they, yeah, uh, they sound good in theory, and then they want to be in shitty. Yeah, emotional connections, connections with audiences. It's all touch and go. You know, it's funny, man, I, especially with, like, one-on-one. I, for you, is it hard to have connection with, with sex? Like, it's virtually impossible for me to have eye contact during a sexual experience if I, if I care about the person. Is that true? Because I'm, I'm weird. Like, I, I don't know what it is about me, but I, I have to not only I, I have to have full eye contact. I don't, I don't really like closing my eyes unless I don't want to come. Like, you know, the only time. Really? Yeah, the only time I'm closing my eyes is to, you know, get my breathing uh, in, in a zone to where, you know, I don't blow my load. But but generally, uh, you know, I like to look, I like to feel, I like to see uh, what's happening. I, I like that. You don't like that? No, I don't mind looking because it's like a, a, I'm a kind of a pornographic voyeurism. But you're, I, I can't, I can't be intimate. Like if if it's a, if it's someone I don't know or a stranger or you know, if we're behind a dumpster, yeah. I can tell her I love her. But if it's like somebody I'm dating or that I care about, it's got to be filthy, and I can't look at her. And it, it really messes me up, man. That the lack of ability to have that connection during sex. Well, I, well, I find that the that I have that experience right after sex. It's you know, don't look at me. We did it. Uh, what do you need now? Oh, so, okay, yeah. The the, the, the emotional. <laughs> The connection is now broken and hit yeah. the bricks. Yeah, the the snuggly part, you know, I, I get a little squirrely with, but uh, but the sex part, I, I like to you know be completely engaged. What I do, are you with somebody? No, man. I, I mean, it's literally five years since I've dated. I've had a couple of very brief, like you know, month or two things, but I haven't had like a real girlfriend since 2011, and I'm kind of at a point now where I, I want a girlfriend. Um, you know, and I'm saying girl in air quotes. You know, uh, just somebody to date regularly. <laughs> What do you mean? That somebody that is the illusion of a woman might work out? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, someone who's kind of half there. You know what I mean? Woman, uh, you know, whatever. Just uh, somebody who I get along with and I enjoy having sex with. It would be nice to see them more than once. And uh, I, I find that different things fuck it up, man. Like, I'll, I'll start to like somebody, and then uh, I find one little flaw. It's like I have to find something in order to sabotage it. Like, I mean, well, I'm sure you know the drill. I do, but, like, what, what's a, what's a deal-breaking flaw it really depends. They're too dirty. They're not dirty enough. Uh, it, it, almost like whatever they present, I will crave the opposite. Because the, the deal, I mean, like bad breath would be a deal-breaking flaw, but it's very rare that you run into that. Um, somebody who is ju- here's the one that's the worst: judgmental, like like for real judgment. You know, because I'm pretty out there about stuff I've done sexually, and if it's somebody who doesn't know my comedy, and then they start finding out things, and I get that, like, oh, I, I had one girl tell me. You know, we were having lunch, and she goes, you know, that stuff you told me last night, you can never tell me that stuff again. I mean, I have my idea of what masculine is, and I just can't hear that stuff. And I wasn't even mad at her, but as we're eating lunch, like, I felt every ounce of fucking liking go away. And right. I just was done with her by the time we were finished with lunch. Well, she basically so that just... that will kill it for yeah, me. Yeah, well, she just shamed you in, in a... <laughs> Like it wasn't, you know, it's not like helpful advice. It's like, you know, I, you know, you're not a man to me if you tell me that stuff that you uh, obviously have done in your life. 
Yeah, the shaming stuff. Get, because I don't shame a woman about anything. Yeah. Like, I don't care. Like, I've had girls tell me that they, you know, they wanted to fuck their dads and all this other great stuff. And some I've had to goad into saying it, but they do. But uh, I, anything you, you, you come out with, I'm okay with. Like, yeah. I'm not going to judge anybody's past. So when someone does it to me, that, that makes me instantly, like, disconnecting. Oh, fuck you, man. It just That really is irritating. Yeah, I, I'm just, I, what I'm having a hard time with, I guess you're a little younger than me, but what I, what I don't always understand after a certain point, like, I'm 52, I got no kids, uh, you know, I've been married twice, I've been through the, the fucking mill with, the, with everything. It's like, I'm, I'm not sure what I need right now. Like, you know, what do I really want? Do I want to get married again? No. Do I want someone to live with me? Not really. Do I want kids? No. So, so what do I really want? You, you know, like, what, what, I don't understand what the hell a relationship is, uh, is good for sometimes. Yeah, do you, I find it's like being greedy. Like, uh, that's exactly it. I don't know what I want because I know that there are enough people out there where I can get what I want, especially with Tinder and Bumble and Raya and all these fucking dating apps. It's not for lack of, of choices. It's the fact that I'm just a greedy motherfucker and I want everything. And then as soon as I get it, I throw it away and I, I want the hunt again of something new. It's like I'm unsatisfiable. It's, it's really it's pathetic at my age. Yeah, I, I, I wish I, I mean, I, ha- I think I have a little of that, but I can't, you know, I'm, I'm in a, a, a relationship, but I, so I can't really, I was never that, uh, you know, that driven uh, to sort of push the envelope sexually. But I do, I do wonder, it's sort of like, is it, is sex, isn't sex just sort of enough? I mean, if you don't want kids, you don't want to be married. You're not really capable of trusting people uh, deeply or having real intimacy. Uh, isn't there a point where you're just sort of, I guess this is the way I am. It's not horrible. Uh, the, the, so I'll just live this way. Yeah, you know, you start to resign yourself to like, all right, maybe this is as far as I'm going. This is the best it's going to get. Yeah. But I just, I don't, I haven't even fucked in a while. Like my dick's not even staying hard unless it's an inappropriate thing. Like it stays really hard through the entire experience. I could, if I'm kissing a girl, my dick is hard through my pants for an hour, and then as soon as it touches her vagina, it's like whoa, whoa, just panics and hides. So it's like I'm having this real like connection thing because it's not, I'm not necessarily a performance issue. Yeah, I, I think it represents something in, like you know a connection or something really nice. And I just, you know, there's a part of me that just isn't having it. Yeah, you're, you're despite whatever you're thinking, your dick is panicking. Yeah, it's completely, <laughs> completely panicking. My dick is acting like it's been shamed. And it doesn't matter who I'm with. It has nothing to do with the partner, yeah. how hot they are, what yeah. they're willing to do, whether it's loving. Yeah, it's not about that. From, uh, from, I from just no- can't seem to fuck lately. From, from, from knowing you and, and talking to you uh, many times, I can, I can say with confidence that you, your dick has been shamed. Yeah, it has been, and in some cases, it should have been. You know, not all shame is wrong. There's certain things I've done that a justifiable amount of shaming was given, yeah. but it's the stuff that I shouldn't be ashamed of. Right. Um, you know th- that I am. That just seems to uh, it just seems to wreck it for me, and I can't seem to get out of the pattern. Maybe because I don't want to. You know what I mean? Like, you know how they talk about hey, liking lust seems weird. Like, I like being that way too, and it's just like I'm not willing to stop. Well, that, see, that's a, something that I've, I've been thinking about lately. Is that you know I think my comfort zone is uncomfortable comfortable that like like I you know I think that the way I brought up the way I felt as a kid and all that shit that I generally felt a little awkward a little uncomfortable so that's really what I know so that's my comfort zone like I'm just you know an uncomfortable guy in a lot of ways and and uh, you know to feel comfortable is completely alien alien and not and not necessarily something uh, that 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 my that I can adapt to that well and that's the way it is sexually and every other way like the, the stuff that might have turned me on when I was 15 or made me feel connected when I was 15 is just so far in the past. 
and my normal level is just so far above where it should be, and it's it just there's no way to satisfy it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's horrible. The the ongoing hunger, then then the relief, and then the sh- the shame, and then the fucking feeling of emptiness, then the boredom, and then the fucking relief again. You know, the boredom is the worst of all those things. I think the boredom is almost the worst because oh, the other stuff, at least. There's like, like, okay, if I'm ashamed, I know I'm ashamed. If I'm angry, I'm angry. If I'm depressed, or if I... But the boredom, there's really no rational explanation for it. That's the one that fucks me up, because I'll go like, all right, she's a nice girl. She eats my ass. She's a trooper. She'll do anything I want. She'll talk any way I want. She'll tell me to wear panties. She'll cuckold me. She'll tell me she loves me. And none of it feels like anything, and I'm bored. So it's like, what the fuck do you want, idiot? She's giving you all this stuff, and you're bored. I like, I like the list. Now, believe me, I cut it short. You know, I, I don't want... <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot more on that list of great options, Talk, dude. Talking dirty and being, and I, you know, I think I always I talk about sex so much, and it's, I, I hate that that's my thing, but yeah. it's just it just seems to be the focus of most of my discomfort, and my obsession. And, you know, I, I just wish I could get out of that mindset sometimes. Yeah, it's hard. So what? Is, what you, so you do an advice show now too? You do you do the o, the and Jim show in the morning, and then how often do you do the advice show? What's that called? Well, it's, it's just the Jim Norton show, and it's once a week. And the reason. That came about a few years ago. Is um, I Sirius gave me a raise, but they kind of wanted. You know how they say you got to you got to work for it. Yeah. So they said, why don't we do a music show on the the Aussie's Boneyard channel every night, which you pre-record, right. and a once in a week advice show. So it started as a you know it's a goof. I'm like, all right, I'll just fuck around. Some callers will call in. But then people started calling in with real stuff. Like it wasn't, it's not that I'm sitting here like some douchey guru. The whole thing started as a goop, but then they'd be like, hey man, I want to get sober. And I want to do it. Like they would have like legit things. Yeah. So I guess it, it's kind of, everyone understands that I'm flawed and I'm, I tell the truth about myself. So I think people kind of like that. As opposed to being like Dr. Laura, yeah. where you're sitting there like this twat on the mount telling everybody what's wrong with them. I kind of come from the place, the same place that you'd probably come from, which is, look, I know I'm flawed. I know I'm yeah. damaged. I've learned certain things, and maybe this will help. Yeah, I'm not a professional, but uh, I went through this, and this helps me. Yeah, and, that, and, that, and I think people like that. Yeah, they I do. think they like the lack of perfectionism in, yeah. in the advice or, or the suggestions. And I like a lot of times I'll tell them, I don't know, man, I have no experience. Uh, with that, and here's what I might do, but I can't be truthful. People like once in a while when you say you don't know, because sure. at least they know that you're not coming from a place of being, uh, you know, holier than thou. Yeah, you can say I don't know. Maybe uh, let me let me see. Did you? Yeah, let me see if I can get your phone number or, or look it up because uh, you're fucked up in a way I don't even understand. <laughs> yeah, and you, by the way, let me see if I can get your phone number. You've actually taken it one step further than I ever. <laughs> exactly. You've done more work in that than I've ever done. I've always just said Google it. I have no idea what to tell you. I'm not my. I don't like people ask about kids. Yeah. I don't want to give. Like, first of all, if you take Jim Norton's advice with your children, you're fucking ridiculous. Like, my baby's choking. What do I do? Like, I, I, dude, I don't have to tell you. You know, fucking call someone who knows. Yeah, better, I don't know how to handle that. You better do something quickly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, you know, it depends on how you feel about kids. You might say, wait an hour and see how it works itself out. <laughs> oh, fuck. Well, that's fucking great. So you're coming, you're doing a show here in L.A.? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 L.A. is a, always a frightening one for me. Because what date I just, is that? It's it, next Friday? Next Friday, uh, or is it Thursday? I think I'm doing the Novo on Thursday, and I'm doing Vegas, uh, the Mirage, on the Friday. I should okay. probably know my own dates. I understand the value of a plug, and I understand how it's done and how you should be prepared. And I see these guys, they come in, and they have no idea. And I'm like, what dopes? They don't know how to plug. And then here I am. It's May 26th at the Novo. Um, here I am, and I don't know exactly how to plug. I almost feel embarrassed or ashamed plugging. It's like, you know, especially with a friend, like when you're doing it with someone you don't know, it's a disconnected experience. You're like, yeah, these are my dates. 
Yeah. But when I'm talking to somebody I've known for 20 years, it's almost like, and I'm going to be here, and I just off. It's just I don't know how to do it. Well, the, well, I mean, you're talking to the right guy. So you're in Los Angeles <laughs> on May 26 in Las Vegas, uh, May 27th, JimNorton.com. But I, I mean, I'm the same way. But now, like, I get this weird thing where. Like, I don't ever expect that I'm going to sell out or a lot of people are, are coming, but I do want the people that I know like me to come. You know, like, like I don't know how many that number is, but I want to make sure all the ones, you know, that if they're out there and they're, they're, they're you know, you know, not quite paying enough attention. Like, because I get sick of the thing where you got the biggest fans in the world and you promote on every platform available and then you leave the town and, you know, two days later they're like, I didn't know you were coming. It's like, what the fuck do you want me to do? Come yeah, how can house? I let every person know individually? Louis's mailing list seems to be the way to go, and I guess if I had one the size of him, that would be a good way to do it. But uh, I don't know either. I get the same ones. When are you coming to Philly? It's like I was there two days ago, you fucking non-fan. Where were you? You know, there's no way to tell everyone. So I just try to, you know how it is, man. You get out there, you plug as much as possible, and there's so many forms of entertainment, you just hope somebody's interested. And you're right, the ones that show up, I just want them, the people who like me, I want them to know I'm going to be there. Exactly. And, and what, how's, the, how's the material? You feel good about it? Yeah, I'm going to shoot it at the end of July. You know, it's one of those things, I get so sick of it. And, and, and my curse has always been, it's, it's like a little bit too topical, so like a year later, it doesn't feel as relevant. So I'm trying to keep it, you know, I talk about obviously Caitlin and my whole opinion and experience in that world, and I'm trying to keep it fairly evergreen so it's not something contingent upon the Vanity Fair cover. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I'm talking about that, and obviously the Trump thing, I'm trying to keep very, very, uh, something that could that could be watchable in a year or two. Well, maybe what you should do is, uh, like, because the last special I did, it was almost all evergreen, because, you know, you don't know when the hell people are going to watch it and where they're right. going to watch it. Maybe you should do a scenario with the Trump thing and do a few jokes as if he's president. See how that yeah, I did think of that. I thought it'd be funny <laughs> to tell the audience, this is what I'm doing, so I don't know when people are going to watch this, and then do a couple of jokes of Hillary being the president and a couple of jokes uh, of Trump being the president. Oh, you got to do that. And just see how it works you out. you got to do that it. Or just be lazy and release a special with both, so I've kind of covered you know, all my bases. Well, I think it would be funny either way. I think you should definitely do that. Do a couple of jokes with Hillary and a couple of jokes with Trump as president, and then leave them all in after. Yeah, and just see what happens. And people <laughs> go, like, well, at least he thought it through. Because- they just got lazy in the edit. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, okay, so May 26th here in L.A. at the Novo and yeah. May 27th in Vegas at the Mirage. I love you, Jim. And uh, Thank you, Mark. I, I love you, and I'll be out there. I'm actually coming out Sunday, so it'd be nice to see you during the week, maybe in the afternoon if you want to grab some lunch. Let's do it. Text me. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mark. You bet. Bye. Bye. Once again, Jim Norton, Los Angeles, May 26th at the Novo, Las Vegas, Nevada at the Mirage Hotel and Casino, May 27th. Always enlightening and relieving and uh, you know, the, what's great about Jim is that, you know, you can always pretty much if you're like a, almost any person, you, you, you know that you're not as bad as you think you are and you're not handling as much crazy bullshit that you get yourself into as Jim Norton is. And that's why he's so brilliant. Can I just share with you an email about my show? Uh, we're now into uh, we've now burned through four episodes of Marin on IFC. It's on Wednesdays at 9. I'll actually plug my trip any house dates. You can also go to WTFpod.com slash tour. Uh, I'm doing those trip any shows at the Steve Allen Theater Tuesdays through June. Get tickets if there are tickets to be gotten. I, I'll tell you again how proud I am of this season of Marin. I really think we did a wonderful job uh, you know, making a show that is not... 
it's it's the it's a cautionary tale. Is it an allegory? I don't think so. I think it's a a fictional cautionary tale of of how my life could have gone or may still go. God forbid. But people are responding uh, very well to it, and I, and I'm and for the right reason, and I'm happy for that. That's the that's the most I can ask for. We did we did an amazing thing, I think. But I just got this email from Rob. Thanks for this season of Marin. Nine months ago, I had the unpleasant task of driving, in parentheses, dragging my wife to an inpatient facility. I spent a month alone with our kids, holding shit together until she got out. She's doing well, and after a lot of bitter argument, so are we. This season gave us a way to really laugh at addiction and recovery from the clueless, quote, all I need is one shot, unquote, stagger and swagger of relapse to the endless nattering, but still strangely helpful journey of recovery. You nailed the facts while showing that every tragic situation has a pure diamond of comedy within it your show helped us laugh at ourselves and more than anything else we needed that thanks mark best rob that to me is what the show is for you know it's like in the world we live in now i never ever in my life had any aspiration or illusions that I would be for everybody. And I don't give a fuck that I'm not. But I'll tell you, you know, whatever I am and whatever I've fought to be in any medium I'm in, if it resonates with you, uh, I, I am glad to connect. And uh, I, I appreciate the feedback and I'm happy to help out. So look, people, this is a, this is a pretty big deal, this, uh, this interview with Terry Reid, because... You know, I'm not a complete nostalgia freak, but I like people that live the life. I like people that remember the life they lived. And, and I like people that, that lived a life uh, in proximity to my heroes or to the people that I always revered. And music is music. And this guy goes all the way back. And it's a pretty stunning interview. As I said before, his new, his new album uh, from Light in the Attic, uh, The Other Side of the River, is available Friday, May 20th. Uh, it's remastered and it has six never before heard tracks from this period where he did the river. Uh, and there's alternate versions of the song on river. Go check it out wherever you get music. So now is uh, the, let me bring you my conversation with uh, with Terry Reed. There's a type of singing, like, because I was listening to, to the, well, the new record that's coming out on uh, Light in the Attic. Other Side of the other River. Other Side of the River, cool. which yeah. is outtakes from the River Sessions. Yeah. Right. Right. And, like, the River, like, I picked up the other day, because I have your first two albums. I have Bang Bang, and I have this self-titled record. But someone turned me on to you. I think my girlfriend gave me Bang Bang, and then another kid's like, you gotta know Terry Reed is, right? Oh, no, go So I started listening to this stuff. I'm like, holy shit, because there's... You know, there's only like you know four of you guys that that do that stuff, and and you all sort of came out around the same time, like Cocker, right? And uh, like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah well, like the, big, just this British soul big singing. Compliment. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what are you kidding, yeah. man? It's great. Well, it was there was everybody was a soul singer in England. Right? Is that the way it was? Well, you know, nobody went to see. All the white groups only went to see black groups. Right. Put it that way. Or, right. Or to, for lack of a better Whether they be blues or R&B. Yeah, more R&B. Yeah? Oh, yeah. No, no the four tops. That, you Where'd know, you grow uh, up? Um, out in the countryside in Cambridgeshire. So you would go into yeah. London to see bands? Oh, yeah. We'd go anywhere to see. You know, Hammersmith Odeon was where the Four Tops and the Temptations, they always would play there. And how um, old were you when you were seeing that stuff? Oh, like 13. Really? Yeah, 14. You know. and, and, that's a, and that's what just put it in your head? You're oh, right. well, I, we, we got the records. 
right? Mm-hmm. So that was it. We were devout. That was it. That's the only way that we heard anything. Right. You know, you could get Mary had a little lamb and we'd turn it into an Otis Redding tune. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting because some dudes, it seems like, you know, if I talk to... Uh, you know, if you look at, I don't, like, I, I guess he's probably a little older than you, but maybe not. But there was a whole other contingent that was doing blues, like the straight up. I talked to John Mayall, you know? Yeah, I had, right. I, yeah. I had Mayall in here. Very good friend of mine. Yeah. He's a good guy, right? Oh, he's a lovely, he's a fantastic guy. See, we all came up in that. I right. Mean, I just, you, you're born when you're born. And then when you get a little older, if you're into playing music. Right. It's the time whenever you just fall into that whole thing. Sure. You look around. Yeah. Or you, you look around the paper, you look at whatever in the music rags, yeah. and you see who's doing what. Well, with me, it was a bit funny because, and some of my mates too, like Robert Palmer and a lot of people. Palmer, uh, yeah, another great soul yeah, singer. Yeah, oh, he's lovely. Yeah. He was a lovely guy, you know. I mean, fantastic songwriter. Mm-hmm. But we were all devout R&B guys. And uh, when you'd look, you'd look around and when we were all at school, and none of us had a clue that we'd end up in the middle of all this. Yeah. But just by when it was, that early 60s thing, mm-hmm. we suddenly looked around and we were suddenly we were playing and we were on the road and doing this and things started Who was happening. your first band? Like, who Like who was, uh, what was the lineup? How, how, what was the first band you were in? How old first were you? First band, I was like, what, 14, 15. Playing guitar and uh, singing? Playing guitar and singing. And, so and you're always was, a guitar player. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I always play guitar. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, not 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 that well at the time, but you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to learn something. Sure, somewhere, sure. But, but the funny thing was is uh, it was like 13 and 14 and we had a local group out in the country so yeah, yeah. the Red Beats and we, The Red Beats. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. We all got one. Did you dress up the same way? Yeah. Are you have matching outfits? Well, little red, little sparkle, <laughs> you know, like little glitter. Yeah, you know, yeah. Not sure. too much. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. We hadn't got the platforms or anything. Yeah, right. But, you know, but that's like, they were uh, coming. They were, well, it went that way for some, you know. But uh, I, I was never glitter. Yeah. It's not, not exactly Might be thing, right. right. So we all get into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I joined another band in London called Peter Jane and Jaywalkers. Uh, that we'd be we'd be supporting all these different groups around. Like know. who was around them? Because I talked to who did I talk? Well, I talked to Lemmy and I talked to Richard Thompson and you know and oh, I, Lemmy's a big Beatle fan, huge Beatle fan, huge hugest yeah. Beatle fan in the world. Yeah, like. and he'd go see everybody, you know. Yes. And and I'm a huge uh, like I'm I'm sort of borderline obsessed with Peter Green. So anybody, oh yeah, gonna, yeah, anyone's going to talk about Peter Green, you know, I'll, I'll listen, you know. But it, it always amazes me that London. It's, just, it's one city, and all this shit was happening. Yeah, but you see, not everybody came from London. But they were there, right? Yeah, well, all roads led to London. Even right. with the Beatles, they were just dying to get out of Liverpool anyway. Which right. Is, when you go, yeah, I mean, it, it has a sort of a nostalgic thing for me. Sure. But Did you, you see know, the Beatles? No, I never saw the Beatles. Well, you guys were almost contemporaries, right? Not quite about? No, they were, see, the older. Beatles were the ones that set the stage sure, for sure. what we all love to do. Sure, now, right. There's a bunch of guys yeah. from where? Liverpool? Oh, right. And they wrote these songs? Yeah. Are you joking? No. <laughs> This is some good stuff here. What's going on? <laughs> they from Liverpool. Yeah, now they're in London now. Right, and they're right. making all these records. And and they're just fantastic. Right? right. And everybody wanted to be in a group then. Yeah, right. And write their own material thing. Whether they could or not, that's not the point. So you were writing material early on, right at the beginning? Yeah, well, I, I think the first thing, I, I was just trying to scratch me head one day what was the first thing I wrote. Yeah. Which, that writing thing, I'm not quite sure what that means. You know? Right, it's right. Like, How do you write a song? It, it comes out of thin air or something. Right, like yeah, that. yeah. You, 
and uh, being being musical and that from an early age and that, I, I was like a sponge with tunes anyway. Yeah. So something comes up and you put this together with that and voila, you end up with a story with it and it's a song. Right. You know, I don't think you really write it. Right. All that sitting down diligently and... And I mean, I've done that with songs. But sometimes it just comes to you. You got your it notebook and you, and you I, write a yeah, phrase. And you, yeah, I got a tune. Yeah. And I put words to it. And yeah. Yeah. And that's and the way it goes. There's one song with that expression that I did on them, that early albums that you were talking on about. On Bang Bang or the other one? Uh, I think it's, yeah, I think it's on Bang Bang. Yeah. Which yeah. song? It's called With That Expression. Yeah, yeah. That was ro- probably the first thing that I got pen to paper and did something, mate. Yeah, yeah. And that's gone around all over the place. Sure, right? man. Those were I mean, those were big records. That Bang Bang was a big record, wasn't it? Well, it wasn't just that. It's yeah. a good friend of mine, Graham Nash. He he well, did it with right. the, with the Hollies, mm-hmm. which I never knew right. about for years. And then he did it with Crosby, Stills, and Nash, right? Yeah, right. And then John Mellencamp did it, right? Nice. And then there's all these people did it, and I thought, well. What about the rest? <laughs> Do a few more, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, to me, Crosby, Stills and Nash doing one. I mean, you've only got like, what, four or five great writers in the band who have got 50 songs each. You know? Yeah. Just flattering, right? Me, right? Well, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Like, even listening to the first records, they're sort of like they're very l- lyrical stuff, and they do, they, but they all seem to have their own tone. And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't quite place it. It's, it's pretty uniquely yours. I mean, I guess early on there was, you know, a, a sort of the way kind of like maybe Van Morrison wrote stuff where things just kept moving, you know, and, and you yeah. just kept singing over it. Although Van, I must admit, at a very, very early stage, you know, I remember when he, he was with a group called Them. Them, yeah. Yeah. I remember back then. See, we all grew up in this thing. So you, you would see them. Yeah. They'd be around. The Howies would be around. Right. Yep. And and we'd be like the backing group, backing all these groups, the animals. With you would play and, or you were the opening we'd band? We'd play the opening band. You were right? the opening band. Yeah. With the J, what was the name of your band then? Peter J and the J Wolves. Yeah. Right. So it's the best education you ever had because not only not what to do, but to figure out, well, what is it that they're doing to get it so right? right. <laughs> How did it, the Hollies puzzled me to hell? I, uh, Graham caught me one day. I was he, uh, after the gig. I'm behind the curtain, yeah. behind their amps, yeah. and I'm looking around, yeah. right? you know, yeah. behind the amps. Yeah. I, he says, well, "What are you doing?" I says, "Well, you, look, you, Graham, you can't sound that good. You've got some other stuff yeah. behind there. I don't know about." <laughs> <laughs> He's going, "That's the." There's some magic somewhere. He said, that's what, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. He said, that's so, that's flowering. And it, do you know what? Yeah. He didn't have anything. Nothing. Nothing. It's just straight amps. Yeah. Well, who the hell knows what the... Well, that's who, depressing. But, <laughs> but, but who knows what the magic is, right? Yeah. I it mean, was them. I mean, they, they were unbelievably good live. What were you about to say about um uh, about Van at that point? Because he's... Well, a, Van, he's a, when he, he... Van always had a very, very distinctive style. Yeah. Singing-wise. Yeah. If you listen to things, he even listened to Gloria. Yeah. Which was them. Yeah. And you listen to things he sings now. It's... it's I won't... You can, don't get me wrong. It's exactly the same. His phrasing... Yeah. Is de- definitive. Yeah. Him, right, 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 right. And yeah. you, you can't put your finger on, well... Where did he get it from? All that thing. No, right. it's a total blend of everything he likes, which yeah. is what I always say. He's never one favorite singer. Yeah. And were you guys friends? 
uh, we know each other real well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Van's, a, Van's a character to behold, I'll tell you, you know. Always? Yeah, well, he don't take prisoners, put yeah. it that way, you know. <laughs> Was he always <laughs> like that? He's, he's always been that way. He's very short, yeah. very, uh, short with words and things mm-hmm. with people. And that, but we know each other real well. But that's yeah. interesting about vocalists is that you know it's really on you guys to it's it's all going to be in the phrasing, it's all going to be in the interpretation right. and, and and the honesty of your own voice. So you're gonna yeah. find it or you're not, right? That's it's what fits your. It's like I always say as well when people go into studio, they say, "Oh, uh, oh, that's a nice mic. I'll use that." Yeah. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, over yeah, the years, yeah. you discover that there's uh, the right mic for a certain singer. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, what is right for one singer will not necessarily work on another singer. Right. There's always one. What's now, your you mic? Can't, you, well, there's two. There's, yeah. there's a couple of, well, there's a couple of different Neumanns that are great if you're singing softer, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're slamming it and you're really like this thing with Belting it out. Right? Yeah. You've you got to be careful. A ribbon mic is usually the best. Now, my favorite mic on, on that kind of thing yeah. is a BX44, yeah. the big RCA mic. Oh, yeah? Oh, it's it's the best because it's warmer uh-huh. and the ribbon moves. Oh, so you can belt it out you and can, it won't blow it up? When you belt at it, it doesn't smack you in the face. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. Like that digestive ad on TV, <laughs> you know, when a hamburger beats you up, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it, you have to be, you have to really learn over years of what's the right mic because you know right away when it isn't when you listen back. But yeah. when you were coming up, like when you're, because your guitar playing is pretty, uh, pretty unique as well. You know, like especially you know, the the those first few records that I have, like it, it's really kind of honest and you know it's got a little bit of distortion yeah, it was to a it and bit funky then, yeah, and then yeah. it turned into something else. It turned into a rhythm thing. When yeah, it, you know, when I got to like River, and then when it got to See the Memory, later yeah. on albums, yeah, is there's a lot of things that uh, there's one particular man that I didn't want it to influence me that much who was richie havens oh really i got to know him real well and he was so gentle and, and so nice and yeah. he's one of them guys that will sit down with you and show you things yeah that he played open tuning right oh my god <laughs> Did he? he got all sorts of raga tunings yeah yeah like because like you would see he'd, he'd yeah. go he'd be going and you're like he only using one finger yeah. on the fretboard i know what's I know. going on and with his that thumb. and his thumb right he, and his thumb coming he over showed the top me, he showed right. me how you can turn this chord into that chord backwards and forwards and things and i went wow what's that all about yeah yeah and drop d and and then into different open tunings and then one with two octaves and all these different things and then for a while i thought that's nonsense yeah (laughs) i can't do that it's too much and then as a couple of years went by for some reason i didn't forget it yeah I re- you know when you like something, you sure, remember it? Sure, and you integrated and it? it got in there in my whole thing, in my head. And, and, what, and that ruined me. Oh, really? <laughs> what, <laughs> that was it. What now I mean, there was all sorts of tunings there yeah, and that, that you work from. And that opened you up. Yep, yeah. opened me right up. Because you're writing a song, or mm-hmm. like I say, whatever. You're, yeah. you're working on something, and you think, oh, it doesn't work in this key. Yeah. Or it doesn't work in this tuning. Or yeah. it doesn't work. And you move around, so I have a row of guitars in different tunings. And then as I'm as I'm, uh, I'm trying to figure out where to put it, yeah, right, is uh, I'll I'll go from guitars and then I'll go ah, now it's a lot easier in that one, yeah, 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 and it all just to sing and play. So that's a whole 
over the years and that is something you sort of develop. It's a oh, strange yeah? way of going about things, but... Well, it's interesting because, you, know. you know, when I talk to Keith, he just uses that one open tuning. He uses that, what is it, an open G? Or yeah, open G with, with the bottom off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And, like, yeah, there's part of you that thinks, like, well, you you lost a string, but and what, how is that better? But it's because there's a tone that's available that you're not going to get with a straight tuning. Well, it's not, just, it's not just that. It's looking at it like a banjo or a uke. Yeah. You know, it's like a lot of people that are good on ukulele, a right. four-string, yeah. can get all sorts of inversion of chords out of them. Yeah, yeah. From, you know, like all different positions. Carmichael days. Sure, you know? sure, I mean, sure. There's some amazing things when it was the norm. Right, right, right. right. And then the G tuning, which is sort of like an upside-down banjo tuning, really, with right, the, right. High, the high string, right? Right. So, Nicky. Yeah, he can pull <laughs> it up on it. So he just play, it. he plays backwards. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Pulls up on it. He now, does I, do that. I learned a lot from him watching him. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I toured with him like twice. Really? Yeah. What years? Well, God. Well, like we were saying, that group I was in, and and, and things suddenly you find yourself in the middle. Well, suddenly I get. We were playing a club in London with Peter Jay and that, and I didn't know that Mick and Keith were there. But yeah. anyway, they're looking for somebody to open up for yeah. their uh, for their tour. It's 1965. Oh, early. And uh, you weren't kidding. So we got elected. Yeah. I got elected on that. And then I end up, I'm on the tour. Yeah. A few days later. Yeah. And it, so from being on this side and loving it all so much and everything, suddenly I'm right in the middle of it. Right. But it it wasn't as musical as that people think. You couldn't hear a bloody thing, right? <laughs> oh, really? Screaming. You oh, know. because of all the, 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 the like girls. It was like the Beatles to it. Right, yeah. right. Oh, it was pandemonium out there. Oh, wow. Police and, what, and, and But when you go on, how the girls were, were they? Well, like, they scream it? at anything. <laughs> what are about? Anything that moved on the other side uh-huh. is screamable. Well, it was all opening up then. It was all yeah. new. You yeah, know, this is the was, beginning. It was. It was. I'm not sure with the, you know, I mean, of course, when the Stones come on, it was pandemonium. But it's, really. if you're talking like 65, I mean, like, you, you got to figure rock and roll really came about, what, in the late 50s. So it's only a few years old. Yeah. So then this is a whole new British version of it. So they're the yes. first. And Elvis never came to England right you never played in Colonel Parker I never could figure out what that was all I about. wonder what that's about so anyway what was happening in England you had a whole series of people yeah oh, is he coming in no he ain't gonna come right no, you right, ain't right. gonna get Elvis, oh, Elvis right so right. you had a whole bunch of really good actual good singers like mm-hmm. Billy Fury and Marty Wilde and all but and then Cliff Richard who was Cliff eh, Richard what is it tame version of Elvis. Elvis yeah. is on fire. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. You watch Elvis now and you go, Whoa. Holy shit, still. <laughs> yeah, it still puts my hair up. And, he ju- and just a singer too. That's what's amazing. Yeah. You well, know, like- I think what it is Elvis is just you could you can see right through that he's just a real nice guy. Yeah, I think so. He, yeah, I think everybody, you'll never hear anybody say a bad word to get better. Almost you know? fragile in a way somehow. Yeah, very fragile. Yeah, that's what got him. Yeah. <laughs> I think we. that's what gets everybody. Yeah, that's what gets you. can't be too nice in this business. You know? <laughs> that's why Keith is still alive. It's not yeah. going to get him. Oh, no, 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 no. That ain't fragile, no. <laughs> no. Well, so, you can spell it different. It might come out, you know. <laughs> yeah. So you were opening, you opened for them, you opened for uh, the Stones, you opened for the Hollies. Yeah. And when did uh, when did you go out on your own and make your own band and, and do those? Uh, well, a bit later, a bit, that was 65, And what do you, who'd you, so you learned from, you, you learned from Richie Havens, but did you ever, did you sit down with Keith? Did you ever sit down with other guys no, and trade not tricks? Really, or really, just messing around in a dressing room, but oh, yeah. there's never really much time, to, no, nothing, you know, Richie Havens I did, I spent hours with him because he was, he would sit for hours showing me things and I thought, 
haven't you got something better to do? Well, yeah. <laughs> what you year know? was this like? Around this, oh, late sixties? Yeah, this was early sixties. Early sixties. Yeah, this was sixty. Wow. Sixty-six. I no would kidding. Say, yeah. And he was in he was in England. Yeah, but I remember it implicitly. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I called him because I was a real big fan of his and everything. He said, "Come on over." Uh huh. I went. Oh, now what am I going to do? <laughs> so that must have like, like, because in your brain, because like, like I said, there's something yeah. interesting about the records, your records, and that you know, it, it, it doesn't matter if there's a, a chord progression, and and some of the chord progressions are are, are a little odd and a little minory, yeah. right? And, <laughs> That's a good white yeah, yeah, and and like, uh, but Richie could play one chord all the way through. Yeah, yeah but he also could play all. He could play many different. Yeah, things. yeah. It, he he just. Uh, there was him, and it was him, and one of his best friends is a guy. I'm not sure if he's around. I mean, I would love to think he was called Sean Phillips. Uh huh. And Sean Phillips, they all came out of this whole thing of this whole eclectic sort of so musical music. It was thing. like world music before yeah, world music before world music. Right, right. You got right. it. I wish I said that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they they all were on a, a plane on their own. Right, right. right. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were drawing from all this intellectual world music, as you say. How'd you find that? How did you find that stuff? Well, I, mean, I would say they got, uh, they, I'd listen to what they were listening to going, I've been on the wrong track here. <laughs> What's going really? on? Really? Like what? So like bu the Bulgarian State Chorus, the Sophia oh, really? District Choir. So you move from, you move from R&B, you're like, there's well, no, this other thing. Oh, no, I, no, I got more R&B. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because you couldn't get the records easily in England. Right. So, once I started meeting people that had been to America bringing things back, you right. know, I mean, then I went gung up and I could get the things I wanted. Right. But the other side of me was like uh, the choirs of, uh, of Bulgaria and Romania uh -huh. and Russia and things like that, which are all quarter tone, eighth tone, sixteenth tone. You know, it's it's very it's very it was eclectic music, right? Yeah. You know? And I the thing is of listening to like, that, you have to really get an ear for it you have yeah. to immerse yourself into it you can't usually the cat will leave the room right know? yeah, yeah sure. deals, right? right but if you if you listen to it over a period of time and start to understand some of these things you develop an ear for it right whereas right. it's it's very pleasing yeah and yeah it becomes pleasure and then you you take it on in some sense. Yeah, right, that sure. Makes sense. No, of course it, it makes it, sense. It gets integrated into your yeah. sensibility. Then you realize when you start getting a little more educated about jazz and different yeah. things and people like uh, Coltrane mm -hmm. and Miles Davis to mention only two or Old Nick Coleman, just three. Then you, you, you listen to what, you see how all that, that's where they're coming from. Right. They're coming from... Something primal almost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all they... And Duke Ellington would say in interviews, he would say, they'd say, well, you're the the man of American music. Where's your influences? <laughs> he said, well, I um, I just listen to folk music. Yeah, yeah, right. And right. End of script, right? Yeah. <laughs> and go figure that one out, right? Yeah, because that is the that that is the template. That's the template. For see? all of it. It's the template for all of it. See? Yeah. So, so it's it's lovely if you can open your mind up and get an ear for things yeah. that are not necessarily the norm. But you'll find most of all the people that you, you know, even Keith or... Mick Jagger or any of the guys in this this whole rock and roll uh -huh. thing, you, you, when you get down to the bottom of what some of their influences are, they're astonishingly different than what you thought they might be. That's right? true. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. They don't just sit around listening to blues records every no. day. You know, it's not like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, but so, like, because I noticed, like, on, on some, I don't remember which album it was. I think it might be The River. There's there's a couple songs where, oh, the, yeah. where the chord progressions are, like, they're, 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 they're really interesting and, and, un, right. and unusual. I can't remember w- which song I'm talking about, but it must have something to do with all that stuff going on. Well, there's your head. one at the end called Milestones, yeah. which is based upon, like, Gregorian chants and right. that, that whole thing I was just right. telling you the, the Bulgarian stuff. Not that I'm that good at it. <laughs> no, but, but, you, but just, you make it your own. I say, you know, I mean, but, yeah. And when you were doing all this work, you were you were you more concentrating on the singing or, or on the playing? Was it like, um, you know... I, I, I don't like that concentrating thing, you know? I mean, yeah, sure. It, if it comes naturally... But do you sit and sing without a guitar? Yeah, I could... I could sure. I, I, you know, yeah. I, a lot of people, a guitar player, singers, you know, you, you take the guitar away and they stand like that, you know? <laughs> it sort of looks a little odd, right? Yeah. That never sort of, I don't know, that never really bothered me. Right. I just get silly at that point. Right. And start right. making right. silly moves and waving my hands Yeah, around. yeah, yeah. And uh, and then they say, give him a guitar again. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, so you're, you're, you're taking all this shit in with Richie and you're opening the band, so... Uh, what what when do you make the transition okay to- so what happens we do at that time we did that stones tour which is like i thought we were i was good at 70. 65 yeah 66. I, 60, I had my birthday on the tour that oh was, really that was hysterical yeah right. what happened well i don't know <laughs> i don't remember much of it to be honest with you it was all just like it just all went by yeah but uh Anyway, so we did that, and then we started doing multiple gigs on the back of that. Yeah. And then we toured- Opening with, uh, gigs. Yeah, we toured with, like, Jethro Tull. We toured with uh, the Beach Boys. and uh, Really? Yeah, and uh, and the Small Faces, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, well, that, that was great, because well, yeah, Steve you Marriott, Marriott became a great fan. You know? Right, right. Well, you, there, there, there's that sort of line of that oh, the yeah. British soul singer. I mean, you and Marriott. Oh, and, we yeah. just, we, we met each other, right? And he says, oh. Terry, we're gonna have a good time on this tour. Did you go up and sing oh, with him? Did you guys sing no, together? No, Never? not when they were playing. Right, but uh, yeah, but just having a good time. We had it. Oh, we had a oh, right, it hell was, of a singer, right? Uh Ter- oh, unbelievable. Marriott? Yeah. Wow. But the funniest guy, them guys oh, really? were just like a bunch of you know. I, thought, I couldn't figure out where they got the name Small Faces until right. they walked in the first night, and not one of them's over five four. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, God, this is like the yellow brick road all over again. What the hell's going on? Now, did you open for Fleetwood Mac? Yeah, I did. It. We did a couple of gigs, but Fleetwood Mac's gone through many transitions. No, but like the first then. one, did you have? Yeah, the, you were with Peter. Yeah, with Peter. Now, yeah. what was he like, dude? He was very quiet and he was very to himself. You know, yeah. he's a great guitar player. Oh my God, you know? what a, a real heartbreaker. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. That, he, he was he was great, you know. Yeah. Like, you know. And John and Mick were fun, I bet. Right? Oh, go where you know, Mick Fleet was on. <laughs> Oh yeah, just yeah. a total lunatic. Right? <laughs> he comes from the lunatic fringe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you open for Cream as well. Well, that came next. You see, what happened was uh, there was a whole thing going on. We've been touring and touring. Yeah, and touring yeah. And we're how would you say we're on the chart? Yeah. Right? And did uh, you get some hits? Uh, no, we never. You know, most of my records weren't released. They escaped. Oh yeah, I'm not really sure what that's about. <laughs> yeah, really. yeah, yeah. That's why we're finding yeah, them now. Yeah, you know. Now is uh, what happened was uh, Eric heard about us going there, and yeah. I knew Eric from from John Mayle and all that, and yeah. I knew Ginger Baker as well as Jack. Oh, Bruce. he what was he like? He was a oh like, Ginger. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. barrel of monkeys. I tell you. <laughs> 
But you see, some people are where they are. You take them as they are. Sure, of course. Or, you got you know, to. You know, you were going to change ginger. I, right, I right, wouldn't right. even try. Yeah, it yeah, could get yeah. dangerous. You know? Yeah. He's, he's, we had mutual friends in that. So right, right. We, I had another band together by this time, which yeah. was just three piece a Hammond organ uh, with bass in it and uh, me on guitar singing and drums. And. Uh, no bass player, just a no. Organ? It was keyboard bass, and oh, we yeah? wired the lower level of the Hammond into like bass the doors. So, yeah, well, sort of, but yeah, not that start, different, right? Thing, different, yeah. So we end up playing with the doors a lot. You, you know, did, and all, yeah. And uh, anyway, but not to get off. So yeah. the next thing is that Eric heard about this, and they were going to come over and do their. By this time, Cream had worked its way out. You yeah. know, I mean, they they're all done. Yeah, <laughs> they've had, <laughs> had it. enough. They've had it. We don't talk to each other now. <laughs> That's it. Right. <laughs> and Eric's hanging out with George Harrison most of the time anyway. So, yeah. so he went off and did. You know, Eric did uh, Delaney and Bonnie, and he did a bunch oh, yeah. of teas and uh, Dave Mason and George in there, and it's all over the place, right? Yeah. And Cream sort of was gonna. They were gonna do blind one faith more too. Was that blind faith? Was yeah, it? and blind faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that didn't work. Right? Yeah, no. So uh, they went off and uh, they did one more tour in the States here, right? Mm-hmm. And so Eric called and said, do you want to do the the tour? Yeah. I said, well, who else is on it? You know, because usually at that time, like with the Stones and things, you yeah. have like four or five acts on. Sure, right? yeah. And uh, he said, oh, nobody. I said, what do you mean nobody? <laughs> he said, well, just the three of us and the three of you. And I went, well, that's six. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't mean I mean Emily Bands, you know, there's yeah, only yeah. six people yeah. you know, and they're doing stadiums, right? <laughs> right. With Madison Square Gardens, right? right. I'm saying, they sure about this, you know, and he goes, <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> Terry, yeah, come on, let's yeah. go. Yeah. Next thing I know, we're on that tour. Wow. Just you yeah. and Cream. Just and, us and Cream. And yeah. it's Terry Reed, that's the name of the Just band. Under Terry Reed. Oh my god. It was Jesus Christ. And I'd heard about this Manchester Square Garden. So I'd seen some good fights there yeah, on yeah, TV. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Muhammad Ali and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah. So to, we end up getting there and go to sound checking things. And I go, nearly fall over backwards looking up at the scene. You, right. It's just phenomenal. The biggest room you ever played oh. <laughs> at that time. <laughs> you know, yeah. Right. And I go, oh, Jesus Christ, this is unbelievable. Then when we walked onto the stage, that they don't do that anymore. But... It was the the stage was where they had the boxing ring in, in the, the middle. middle of yeah, the place. Right. And I walked on there and you get this very funny feeling that you're standing, not in the shoes. <laughs> yeah. You're standing right in the spot. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Where the greatest. Are, yeah, you know, yeah. Where all these people. And you the get fighters. a real tingle about it. Yeah, yeah. You know? I said to Eric, I said, God, was he over here or over there when he hit Sonny Liston? He, said, yeah. he was over there. <laughs> 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 he said, boy, do you feel that one? Yeah. Like, it's just love the it's fights. Very easy. Oh, yeah. well, you know, I mean, they they were real fights, and they know? weren't known for a music venue as much. Yet. No, yeah, no, not at all. You so see. it was all fights. No, That's no, funny. No. So you like, you, you were in awe of the fact that you know because Sonny Liston and Ali had it yeah, out there. You could almost get a picture and, <laughs> and double image it, right? You know, it, as long yeah. as you didn't get hit. You know, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so how was those gigs? Fantastic. It was unbelievable. Sold out. Yeah. I mean, that is I mean it, when it, you have to be, you have to be tough. Like you can't be sort of a nice guy with them sort of gigs, you know, because yeah. people are all going cream, cream, cream. Oh, oh, yeah. So look, it, it came halfway through one song or something. So you I were did. fighting. Yeah, you, you had a actually. Fight. You got yeah. a good point there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got halfway you? through and said, "Now look, stop the band. Okay, hang on a minute. Yeah, 
They're not even in the building. <laughs> I said, they ne- they're, never, they're never here early. I said, they won't be here for another hour. Yeah, yet, so shut up know. and let me play. I said, so it's up to you. Yeah. I said, now, there's two things we do. I can either just... Yeah, you can say that. Yeah, I can either split yeah. and not play if yeah. that's bugging you too much, yeah. right? Or And you can get a bit of peace and quiet. Yeah. You know? Or... I don't know what I said. The only problem is with that yeah. that I have is if I do that and leave, they won't pay me. Right. I said so. Help me out here. So come on, help me out here, a bit, right? And it's New York City, yo. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, so right. of course everybody, Cherry, Cherry. Yeah, oh, really? So suddenly I get standing amazing. Oh, that's great. But that's New York. If you just stick up for yourself. Look at that. You took a couple jabs hey, in Madison Square hey, Garden, hey, and you, on, you got uh, it. Hey. And they listen. And they, well, it's well, 40,000 people, so I forget how many it was. It's yeah. Too, too many to count. Right. And and you got to play what? What did you do, like 45 minutes? Yeah, we did yeah. 45 minutes. So it's tough, you know. And then after that, we working with Cream. We did a bunch of different gigs around the, uh, yeah. the West Coast and did the Forum and we did... Uh, uh, Florida and uh, you know Atlanta or something we did it Philadelphia Spectrum we did as well anyway we did a bunch of them then all the festivals that were going on uh-huh. right? how was Eric though was he a good guy Eric yeah God, nobody's going work. Yeah. yeah good guy it's yeah. like nothing's going on yeah I'm going how can you be so calm about all this? You know, it's, it's pandemonium going on. It might have been drugs at that time. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. It's a little well, relaxed. don't help all of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. can make you twitchy, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but he but was laid back. He's just, huh? Yeah, Eric's just, they're all, you see, the thing is, I'm, I mean, I'm very, how would you say, humble, that to get to work early on, yeah. you know, as a, as a kid, yeah. working with some of these finite, yeah, you know, yeah, professionals. Sure. Did you remain at friends that with game, him at this rock and roll? Yeah, game, sure. It's not like a business job, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a whole other job, and you. I'm very, you know, I'm very lucky to have sort of, you know, followed peers like you know Keith and them. When, on. but it's interesting though when you talk about those guys who are singular, like when when you work with them, and as a guy who plays as well, and, and obviously as a fan and a and a peer, I mean. When you watch Eric or you watch Keith at these different times, w- did you feel the, the 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 presence of how special they were, even though you knew them? Like, Hell when, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah! Yeah, let me answer that. Yeah, it's, it's they they wouldn't they wouldn't have got where they got to right when I first read about them. Yeah, or we first read about sure. them. You know, and being paid and all that. You think, well, how good can they be, I don't right? Know how good they yeah. can be? Yeah, I know. I like that one. I yeah. didn't like that song or whatever. You yeah, know, right. You start right. being opinionated, right? But when you see them, you see the magic happen. Right. You see right. how the Stones, for instance, like yeah. oh, that first two was with Brian Jones in the band, sure, which is a totally different band than it is now. It was yeah. like a rhythm band, right? Right. With him, he yeah, was yeah. a great rhythm player. Yeah. And you stand in the wings and listen, and you go, "What are they doing?" Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. How can they do that? How really? can they do that? Really? And hey, how can they hear anything yeah. and keep it all together and be into uh-huh. they would just Yeah. They just roll and they go on instinct and they would just they're phenomenal. Right. And later on, then when Mick Taylor joined, who was also he was with John Mayle and he was a good friend of mine then, uh then when he joined, it was oh, a whole other a whole game. different band, total different theory. Those Mick Taylor records are great records. Oh, yeah, and, 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 and all this. Yeah, that's all him. 
Yeah. Like, I mean, oh, like, yeah. Like all the, the bending and all yeah, that stuff. He's phenomenal. And know? I love you on uh, Get Your Yaya's Out. Yeah, yeah. Well, Holy it, shit. Here we go. Get right? Your Yaya's I went on that tour in 69. You did? Yeah. I did that one. Wow. They, got, they called me up and said, hey, Cleric, we're going out again. Do you want to go? I'm going, uh-oh. Like yeah. 40 cities or something, you know. And you did all of them? All of them. Well, yeah, except Altamont. Yo, you, you skipped that one. Altamont? Well, you didn't? Keith says, are you going to Altamont? And I said, well, I'm real tired, you know. And was it really just that? It, no, or did you know no, there was going to be trouble? No, we all got winded. Keith says, oh, well, I don't particularly want to go myself, but I suppose I have to. Why? Because <laughs> you heard that the, that the Oh, angel... no, it was a mess the day, two days before. Like what? How? How? Oh, there was guns going off. Oh, really? Because oh, and, and it was a festival, was... right? So was there any... Well, it was a festival with non-festive activities, you know. The, right, angels, but... the angels were going nuts. Yeah. Know? Yeah, so and was, I'd always got on really well with the Angels. We yeah. did a lot of festivals, the Atlanta Festival. Yeah. Uh, God, about five, six. Right? So they were involved with security at a lot of places. Bill Graham got them involved right. with security. Right. And, uh, yeah. and, and then he paid them with things mm-hmm. they had too much of. <laughs> right, right. <And laughs> Which so that's they were running anyway. Right, right. right. No. And I don't know why. It was at first it started. I'll tell you how it started. This yeah. is true. Is We'd fly into San Francisco, yeah, and you the freight department would take all your equipment, right? Your amp, like that one over there, right? Yeah. And that guitar, yeah. take everything, right? And you get to the gig, and half of it's missing. <laughs> and you go, <laughs> and you stay, you know, where that you're looking at people, yeah, what did you do with it? You're acute, and you and they ain't got it, yeah, right? You're yeah. paying them, what right. <laughs> so this started going on, and Bill says, There's a right in a drain pipe here somewhere, right? Yeah. And he goes, mm. now they'd heard rumors, so we investigate the whole thing. And there's a big payola thing going at the freight department. Mm-hmm. They got all the numbers on Fenders and Les Pauls, oh, the really? real ones. Yeah. And they're selling them off. Shit, so you lost good shit. I didn't, I lost a couple of amps. Yeah. Some big groups, you know, with the stacks and the yeah. marshals and things. It was, you know, this cabinet. They didn't take all of it because that's too suspect. Right. When but the just truck a few turns things. up, you're Remember? missing about six, four amps, and, and all shit. the bigger groups had a lot of backups. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. And it got wicked. So Bill says, I got it. You know what we do? I'm going to get the angels down here yeah. to, with all the bikes and the yeah. trolleys and trucks yeah. and pick up the gear from freight and take it up to Mill Valley so to, to, and put it in their buildings with the bikes. Right, to protect the amps. They they well, figured yeah. that they'd scare the freight carriers. Well, they got dogs up there yeah, that yeah. look like you yeah, know, yeah. no ears and yeah, yeah. you know one leg. You know, I mean, yeah. you're going to go in there and steal and have your out of your mind. Right? right, right. They got guns. God knows what. Yeah, yeah. Never got one thing sold for the longest time after that. I that's mean, it, so, it all went chill, right? So that's why he that's brought him in. So it started. That's years before mm-hmm. when we were doing the Fillmore East and Fillmore West. So thing, by right? 69, things were getting out of control. <laughs> it got totally out of control. Yeah. They, uh, what it was at that time, the Oakland Angels and that felt a, a, a sense of meaning because let's look at it. There a lot of them guys, God bless them, were in the war. Yep. And they never got their dudes, you yeah. know, they never got treated how they yeah. should have been treated. Yeah. They came back with a real proverbial yeah. hair, you know, where, yeah. right? Yeah. You know? But they're pissed off with the yeah. whole system, right? Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, I really don't blame them, yeah. you know? Yeah, sure. And uh, they just got angry against society, which had really screwed them, you right? Know? So Bill gave them a little self meaning again, yeah. which yeah. I yeah. thought was a great thing in the beginning, but. Yeah. 
all good things come to an end. Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> and a... it got ugly. It just got real bad. And Bill Graham in general, you you work with him a lot? Yeah, hell of a lot. I've done, oh, I did Fillmore East in New York, oh, probably 15, 20 times. No yeah. shit. And Winterland mm-hmm. and, and Fillmore West, I've done 10, 50. Oh, was no he a solid time. guy? Huh? Good guy? Yeah, he loved to shout and scream at you and accuse you for something that you might do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, he just, he's just a very angry guy, but he, he don't necessarily mean it. Like yeah. Five minutes later, he's just fine. Yeah, yeah. After we did the tour. Yeah. I get a call in England. I was still in England, right? And uh, at my house up there, and Mick Jagger called up and said, look, I'll tell you what, we've been going through all their tapes you know, sorting out another four thousand, right? And we found all these, uh, all these master sixteen, you know, sixteen yeah. track tapes mm-hmm. of the Madison Square Gardens gig when With we you. did that of me. Yeah, do you want them? Yeah. I said, well, really? That's yeah. great. You know, I said, well, he said, no, well, I'll just send them up. So he sent them up in a van, yeah. and I still have them tapes. Oh, really? Yeah, I never mixed them down. Well, get Light in the Attic to do those too. Well, you know, it's only a matter of money. I think it's your time, man. <laughs> Terry, it's your time. Every man got his price. Yeah. That's what <laughs> well, yeah, I, I tell you, you know, because, like, you know, I don't know, like, when I hear you and I listen to you and I and, and the, the extensive fucking work that you did on the road with all these guys and yeah. all the fucking playing and all the fucking sweat and 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 uh skill you put into this stuff well, like you can laugh i've been trying not uh, not laughing yeah. you can swear and i haven't swore much you can yet. swear oh yeah fuck it, then. yeah sure <laughs> absolutely okay yeah we're not on radio but like no. um they're they're like when i listen to this you know, when i got turned on to your stuff which wasn't that long ago i was like holy shit this guy is like the real guy and and now like you know this beautiful record that Light in the Attic is going to put out is is a beautiful record even if it's outtakes but it got me to the river itself to, right. the, to the album yeah you go and it's That's a new interesting. it's yeah. a new experience for me because yeah. I didn't grow up with with your work and a yeah, lot of people yeah. like a lot of people in this country I know like they're like you know who is this guy yeah right you know. and this is maybe this is it maybe this is it ah you know it all it all confuses me I just uh, the point is I always say and a lot of my friends that we've talked about yeah say look if you hang into the game if you believe in what you do and you love what you're doing do it yeah if you don't love it and you don't believe in it get the hell out of dodge right sure <laughs> don't even go there because yeah you, you, you won't stand you know it'll yeah. drive you nuts you know i well, mean i still got bullshitters called me up with boy have i got a deal for you really you know, oh my god you know how many bullshitters there are in this business in music yeah and, they, and they're, very, they're very calculated at how they get you thinking that there's something really going on. And I just, I said, look, you got any money? Yeah. <laughs> and that shuts them fuck right up. Yeah, I mean, that, that cuts right to the bone. Yeah. Well, yeah, I got money. Where is it? <laughs> it's coming. So, you want to do all this. Yeah. You want to do that. I tell you what. Yeah, give me some money. This is what it's <laughs> going to cost you for me to listen to it, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you got to put your foot down sometimes. But like when I listen to you, like I hear like, you know, I, it just, it, it the one thing that came to me is like, I, I got to think that Paul Rogers must have just listened to you constantly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're caught. You, well, you ain't going to like that. <laughs> I know Paul. I know Paul real well. He was in a band in Newcastle. Free? Uh, no. Before? No, before that. And uh, 
And the funny thing happened Are you was, guys there? Is he younger than you, though? Yeah, he's yeah, younger than sure. me. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's quite a bit younger than me. I mean, he must be about, what, six, seven years younger than me. But it feels to me that you influenced... Well, yeah, he comes from that Otis Redding thing, too, you see. Right. But he was in a... I forget the name of the group. I'm trying to rack my brain. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, he was playing up there, and, I, and we did a gig together. You did. To his band and my band. Yeah. And I thought, fuck me, this guy... Oh. He can sing, right? He can sing, yeah. right? And I happened to be talking to a gentleman who was a very good friend of mine, still is, right? called Chris Blackwell, uh -huh. the manager, right? Uh -huh. And uh, and he's, you know, with Island Records and that, right? And I said, now I saw this singer up north, you know, bugging me. I said, I'll tell you, Chris, he can really belt it out. He's yeah. really, he's got, he's the real deal, you yeah. know? And I told him who he was and his band and everything else. And then, I don't know, a few months go by and everything, and all of a sudden, I, the radio's on. And I'm going, you know what? Who's that? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like I've heard that before, right? Yeah. Oh, it's a new group called Free. And oh. I go, oh. then when I started checking it out, I found it was Paul, Paul right? right? And I went, yes, yeah. that's it. Then they played around the clubs in London, and then I got to see him. And, that, you know, and I went, look at me, there yeah. you go. It's, it's good to be right about things sometimes. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. You get, you get, a, real, you get a real rush out of that, thinking that, you know, yeah. that it's right, because it tells you that you're not totally wrong yourself right yeah. well that well there well that's the the story that 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 people who like rock know right. about zeppelin yeah right you know yeah. like in like in when i when i read about that or when i first heard about it you know before i listened to your stuff i'm like of course that makes sense and like and then i'm like did did robert plant listen to you first and there's that whole thing but but you know well, he say he say he says he did and everything else or, sure or whether he did before or after it's not really point the point was is that when i saw them him and, and Bob him in that band of joy and jimmy was looking for putting a band together yeah i went that's it yeah to me it was just like that's it but why'd you turn it down no i see this no, i didn't turn it down all I right went, i wouldn't I, see this is the fucking thing that pisses me off i it don't know goes, i don't know i think jimmy had air up his ass one day yeah way after zeppelin was famous right? yeah and all this you know and, and i think too many people ask him why didn't you get J terry reed in the band well that would piss you off wouldn't it sure when you've got you yeah got, you, you, you're famous and you're double right. platinum and right. you're still going on about this yeah. asshole terry reed you know <laughs> I said, fuck Terry Reed. I don't fucking hear about him anymore, right? You know, <laughs> he turned it down. How about that? Yeah. Right? And of course, it's, everybody loves a train crash or an accident. Yeah. You know? Right. And they don't like the good story, sure. whereas I got him the band together. That's <laughs> one of them deals, right? So that's really the truth. The way. story was you recommended. I was, going, I was going on tour with the Stones. Yeah. Take and the year. Right. Right. right? 69. Yeah. You know what I mean? Early yeah. 69. Yeah. Yeah. So you think, well, and I said, well, call Keith. Yeah. Tell him I'm not going. <laughs> And pay me what he's going to pay me. <laughs> I don't have to do that. Shoot you in the foot, you know. But all these guys respected you. I mean, that's for sure. It, it, look, it, well, the first tour I did with the Stones, with the Yardbirds were on it. I'd known Jimmy for years, you yeah, know, for in '65, yeah, and I'd known him like with the Yardbirds thing as well. Yeah, and uh, in that band was Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. And they go solo, and they both run forward. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. that's how it started you know? yeah yeah double yeah. solos you know? yeah yeah no, it was horrendous right right they were louder they were twice <laughs> as loud as the stones were they were the only band that you could hear <laughs> jeff beck is like a whole oh other... no he's he's iconic i billy gibbons in here oh yeah oh he's great he's yeah, great right, yeah. and he said that you know they they opened for hendrix in texas yeah and he said that uh 
that all Hendrix wanted to do, he would, Hendrix had them deliver a stereo console to the hotel so he could sit in his room and try to figure out what the fuck Jeff Beck <laughs> That's Jimmy. That's Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy Hendrix, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, Jimmy's like that. He yeah. would, he, 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 Jimmy, I was very good friends with Jimmy. Right? Oh, yeah. I know it all sounds ridiculous. No, right? of course what is not. He, like I said to you earlier, I was right in the middle of all this. Yeah. And I'd known Jimmy for a while, just before it all bust, bust open, you know, and went and took off. Yeah. And uh, he said to me before he came, he came to England, not yeah. came, before he went to England. <laughs> I keep forgetting where I am. Yeah. Know, you know? So, and he says, you know what? Oh, he says, you know Jeff Beck, right? I went, yeah, I know Jeff Beck. <laughs> he says, you know Eric Clamour? I went, yeah. Oh, yeah, you know so-so, you know so-so. Yeah. I said, all guitar players. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to meet men. I love this style. can't wait to play with him. I said, well, uh, Look, Jimmy, just slow up a minute. I said, so the way you play, I, I don't think it's going to be that easy. He right. said, what do you mean? I said, well, when they hear you play, I don't think they're going to be too happy. <laughs> but you know what? That, that's that's what happened. The first night he got up, I was there. You were there too? At the Bag of Nails, right? Or Scottish Bag of Nails in London. Yeah. He just got up with a group called The Gas, Billy Gas, right? And uh, he, he got up and did Wild Thing. Yeah. Right. The trucks. Yeah. Right. yeah. I'm going to do a little song. Look, I know it's close to your heart yeah. by one of your favorite groups, and we're all going like. Uh-huh. Right. And Chaz Chandler had invited everybody. It was like. Chaz Chandler from the Animals? Yeah. Well, yeah. he managed him. Oh, okay. See, so what yeah. happened was he'd invited Paul McCartney, invited Brian Jones, and all I, this. I, Richard Thompson said he was there. Yeah. There yeah. you go. He yeah. invited everybody, right? Yeah. And I used to hang out there with me and Peter J. We, mm. We'd go and have a few drinks there. Yeah. So we'd be there most of the time. Most of the time, we'd go there because it was empty. Yeah. Well, there's one night we walked in, going, what the hell is going on? Every oh, musician hi, in oh, London hi. was there. Yeah, we knew everybody, right? What, Townsend so, was there, probably, yeah, I think? Yeah, oh, everybody. Jeff Egg, Jimmy Page, everybody. Really? Right. So, halfway, uh, he did Wild Thing, and he said, this is the loveliest thing, your favorite group, Wild Thing. Yeah. Everybody went, yeah, Wild Thing? Are you nuts right yeah. there? Because <laughs> everybody in England... Uh, the, the trunks are nice guys don't yeah. get me wrong it was the the group you love to hate right 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 you know, everybody does that you know was 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 uh was uh jimmy taking the piss or was he doing no it he you? well you heard him do it yeah i mean he took it a whole lot he took it to a planet and what higher. happened where people were all well the brian jones comes running back to me and peter J at the table because brian jones well, does yeah, yeah right so and he's hysterical brian yeah. he's a very funny guy yeah so he comes running back he goes oh you can't believe what it's like in the front and i said what? Why? He says, oh, the water, it's flooded in the front. I said, why? What do you mean? He says, oh, the guitar player's crying. It's terrible. Right? <laughs> 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 I thought he was just, I said, what are you going on about, right? <laughs> oh, the guitar player. He knew. Know, some of them got, I won't mention who, got yeah. up and left. No shit. Yeah, it, it pissed them right off. Really? Well, they had it all right there in their fingertips, right? And well, they, they were owned on it. that whole yeah, yeah, rock, yeah. guitar, right. blues, right. second generation. Thing. Right. Now this brother turns up, right? Yeah. And just rips up. I mean, turns it inside out. I still haven't heard anybody do what he does. Yeah. I watch him now on TV. I'll turn, well, come on, I'll go, you know, you go through and. And they'll be like, we did. Uh, I did the the Georgia uh, Georgia Festival, mm-hmm. you know, Atlanta Pop Festival, mm-hmm. three hundred sixty thousand people. Right? Yeah, and that one he had the night and and everything, right? And I remember that. 
And I, it was on, and I, I at first can't remember, well, which gig was that? Because we did a lot of them, right? With and him? And I said, yeah, right, oh, I did a lot. I did Yale University with him, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All sorts of gigs. And uh, he pulled me in on things and that. It would be great. We were good, good friends. Right? He's something else, and I'd be watching it. And then I see myself in the wings. Yeah. <laughs> I go, oh, I know that gig. <laughs> I remember it now. <laughs> I usually go by what somebody wears. You remember yeah. what somebody well, wears. Well, you yeah. know what's interesting is that, like, you know, in talking to you about it, like one of the things you forget about these guys who are who are long gone and and you know mythic figures. Yeah, I know. Is that right. you guys were out there doing the job? I mean, yeah. like gig after gig after gig. You oh know. hell yeah! Oh man, it never stopped. For right, years. You know? Yeah, yeah, and it's just like yeah. it, it, you forget that that like it's not just the records. It's not just the idea of the guy. Oh, you guys no. were out there working. Oh hell yeah! Well, it's it's, it's it, the only I always say even now the only peace and quiet I ever get is when we get on stage. Yeah. That's the only peace and quiet. That's the only peace I ever get is on stage because it's all the the traveling and the, this and the bullshit yeah. and the monitor guy who you want to kill because yeah. he hasn't got a clue. <laughs> well, I went to engineering school. Yeah, that was right. a waste of fucking money. I can't hear myself. Yeah. yeah, That was a waste of money. You, you shouldn't have gone there. <laughs> oh, you're making a record. I see. And we're doing a live gig. It's wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Right? Oh, my God. And it still goes on. I like that idea, though, that the only peace you get is when you get on stage because yeah, that's swear, your time. You, I swear. It is because you it's go. your space. You go. Are we ready now? Yeah. Okay. Okay, everybody. Here, we, Here go. we go. Right. And then once you're in, they're screwed then. They can't do it. They can't go with it, right? So Yeah. You know. So you and Jimmy spent a lot of time together. Oh, yeah. He used to come and hang out at my house, you know, when it got too busy over it is. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. He's such a nice guy. Sweet he guy. Would, he could never get tell people to leave. Oh, really? No. Yeah. He, uh, He'd just leave his health. He, he'd, he'd leave, leave his own house. He'd yeah. leave his own house. Of course, somebody got badly drunk, everything. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. But whatever, he didn't care, you know. He didn't care. So let's talk about these. Um, the, what? Where did you, like, because these, you did those four or five records early right. on. Right. And they're great records. They're beautiful records. They're, they're unique records. And then, and then sort of, you know, what happens? Like, to, you, how did you sort of sustain yourself, you know, after you just, you know, stop making solo records? Well, it, it, it's, it, it's funny how things go. It's, yeah. you, know, you, you had a lot of things happen. I won't say the industry. Yeah. Uh, I made some records I really enjoyed making. Like yeah. River, I really enjoyed That's making. beautiful record. I really enjoyed making Seed of Memory because yeah. I was working with Graham, my, yeah. my friend, who yeah. said, let's make a record. Yeah. And I went, what do you mean? Let's. He says us. Yeah. Oh, are you serious? I was in shock, right? And he says, "Yeah, yeah, leave it to me. We'll put it together." It's a different and, type of record. It's a different production sound, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. totally different. Yeah, yeah. Totally different. You know. So, but the songs I'd written, I'd played him these songs, and yeah. he loved them. Yeah. And they, that's the way they sounded, really, when I played them to him. And he helped me out get, you know, Ben Keith and, and Al Perkins. And, oh, and you work with David Lindley on, uh, oh, oh, on, David on The River. Lindley, that was River. another band we had in England, you see. That's, He's a wizard, this, man. This album that's coming out now. this He's on that, yeah. Right. Well, that's part. He was all over River. Yeah. And half of the album was done in England. And then the whole band broke up. Mm. David went with Jackson, right? Mm -hmm. Because Dr. Myers went number one. And we're on Atlantic, so it's you can't really argue. <laughs> and Armin Ertegaard was really good about it, right? And then Alan White, right, joined Yes yeah, with Eddie Offord, who was producing the album. So I went to Armin and said, 
Well, we not only lost two members of a four-piece group. Yeah. The producer ain't here. <laughs> I mean, what do we? He says, "Oh, don't worry about it." He says, "Tell you what, you like you like California, right?" I said, oh, "I love California." He said, "Well, go. You look. I'll set it up for you. I'll get him. I'll find you a place to live. Get on a plane and get out here." He said, "It's miserable over there." Yeah. I went. You know what? He's got a really good point there. <laughs> it's pouring water. It's freezing, right? Yeah. So it was just me and Lee Miles, the bass player, who had put that group together at the time, right? We fought for like two years to get it just how we wanted it, right? And uh, we suddenly went, oh, okay. So Lee came over first, came over. Yeah. And then I said, I'm out of here. But I packed a bag and boom, I'd gone. I never went back. <laughs> to Britain, you never yeah, went no, back? No, no, I've never lived in Britain since that, you know, when I... Because Ahmed Erdogan told you to come. Well, I, I, to me, he was just... Amazing, He right? was the god of the of the record business. You ask anybody. Sure. It's not, it's not my, my necessarily sure. opinion. And then what You'll you... never see the likes of, of that kind of musical businessman. I, I just don't... And he was nice to be around? Oh, he's a riot. He's, he's the fun, funnest guy ever. He called you up, come and have lunch with me at the Beverly Hills, right? Yeah. I'm going... I don't think I'm dressed for it. <laughs> don't worry about that. Come on, just come in, come in your shorts. Don't worry. I got the bungalow. They don't worry about us lot. I get there, he's in the smoke. He loved jacket. rock guys, so, huh? All day long he'd sit there talking. Not necessarily about what you're doing. He yeah. would talk about music, ask your opinion on uh -huh. some act or something or this or oh, that. Oh, yeah? And yeah. Oh. I, he's just like one of the band, you know? Yeah, yeah. And did he like you know after because yeah I mean you did you worked with a lot of other people too yeah after the the solo stuff right yeah and what, now I'm working on this whole thing with uh, with Joe Perry yeah which is fantastic you know because yeah. now from doing ballads and very sensitive things and stuff now, yeah yeah and Joe yeah. plays me this track that's just slamming to the wall and so we wrote a song on it and then we do another one that's like almost Turkish and, and you're singing you're the front man yeah yeah I'm singing it yeah. That's and, great, and writing, man. And writing the living and everything with him, you know, so it's great. And I'm what's it like to listen to, like, you know, this this remastered uh, uh, River Outtakes? I mean, what, what's oh, it Oh, like? it's great. It's like memory lane. Yeah. You know? All I see is 10 Brazilians in my house up in the countryside, <laughs> all playing primitive <laughs> instruments. Yeah. And, and and a guy who lived in a village, who yeah. go on his bicycle every morning to work. Yeah. He come riding by my four hundred year old cottage that I lived in, and he come riding by about seven in the morning. Yeah. and they're all still going. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like I've got yeah. a tribe of wild Indians <laughs> from Bahia in my house, just and going, huh? Yeah, it started getting around. Like, yeah. what's going on over? It? What's he doing now? You know? Yeah, going. yeah. And um, what, what's a, what's the Deep Purple story? If we're gonna do Deep Purple, yeah. Well, that wasn't that wasn't my thing. No. I know Richie Blackmore for years and years. It was just not my my brand paper. You know, I mean, it's a hey, uh, to those around, you know. Yeah. And I said, look, Richie, thanks so much. I'm very flattered by by it. You yeah. Know? And the other singer, remember, like who who left, you know. And, uh, I understand. I get the I get the gist. Yeah. Right, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but that's how, that happens to you'll find if you you'll interview a lot of singers. Yeah. A lot of people at that time in England, we call it the dartboard theory. You yeah. Know? Everybody was changing bands around. Yeah. And getting to see to get the winning combination of yeah yeah right? yeah yeah and knowing that english rock and roll bands had, had sort of made a very distinctive impression <laughs> in america yeah like the hard metal bands and that which became you know metal like sabbath and hard rock and, and, and yeah. sabbath you know that they, yeah. they'd sort of 
made the mould on that, right? Yeah, yeah. So they go, quick, 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 let's get it together before somebody over there does it. Now, it's like heavy metal or whatever. Sure, you know? yeah, but yeah. I find it interesting because now these days, now I've stuck around long enough to watch the young lads and what they do when they put the band together. <laughs> now you've got mileage laws. You can only play here but not for a couple of months in the same area. Right, in terms you of touring. Right. New York yeah. is like three months. Right. I deal with that all the time. So I got wind of what happens. The young guys go, well, we'll have this band and we'll call it that. Yeah. Then we'll swap a couple of members, get another name and call it this. Then we go, well, I went, ah, you crafty buggers. I see what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> They're all going around. Well, is it the same? Well, you, no, it's not the same band. Oh. It's the same bloody band, but two people. Right. So, so that's how they get around them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know. Uh-huh. But also it's the thing that they're all the same thing as I say with the bands back then. They also were trying to find a winning combination. Yeah. But who's to, you know, I don't, I don't know with that. I think one of the best things to do, all the young bands out there, find a bunch of guys that you hate. Yeah. And then make a band, shut the fuck up, go on stage and play, and the cohesion will get you there. Every successful band I've ever known hate each other's guts. (laughs) I swear to you, you ask them, they all end up like trying to kill each other. Really? Yeah. Like the who? Oh, bloody hell. (laughs) Ah, Well, they nearly pulled it off a few. Ask ask Roger, there's a few times he was was worried about his own life, you know. With Mooney around, yeah, I mean, yeah. you never know who he was going to blow up. You know? Right, right. How was that? That guy must have been a. Oh fun. no, he was. Oh, he's dangerous. Yeah, he's very low. He's a lovely guy. I yeah, know, we'd go out and do things. Yeah. There's hundreds of stories about Moon and that. yeah. I'm, 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 I'm on the thing. I want to write a book because the only way you can do this is well, yeah. The only thing long enough is a book that you can tell stories in. Why don't right? you write a book? I want to. Yeah, I want to. I just got to get somebody who's stupid like me that will listen. <laughs> And write it down and <laughs> understands my wonderful There are guys who'll do that. Of course there are. I know more idiots than you could imagine. Oh, yeah, right? I read Keith's book. Keith's book's like the Bible. It's yeah. like 500 pages. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? Well, once he starts telling stories, he's got way more than I'll ever have, you know. But I couldn't believe it, you know, because with that book, like, you know, I grew up loving Keith and like you have these assumptions. Like, yeah. oh, he's just this, oh. you know, like he's some junkie. And, he, and then you read that book, you're like, holy oh, shit. Oh, no, he's as quick as a whip. Oh, he? my God, he's bright. Oh, he's, he's oh, got God. ideas about you everything. Don't live, you don't live that long, right, without right. going around the corner. That's <laughs> right. That's right. No, so you want to play a song? Yeah, sure. So with that, okay, so the story on the, on the new record is all the masters were at Warner Brothers. Yeah. And whose idea was it? Now, all the, what happened was I get a call yeah. from Matt Block from yeah. Warner Brothers. And he'd been set a task uh, to go and get all the masters because, uh, you know, uh, Warner Brothers bought EMI. right? And yeah, <laughs> it's it's like Raiders of the Lost Ark around there now. Yeah. I mean, they've got so much stuff. I mean, God for, bless them. I don't know how they're going to get through it. Yeah, know? yeah. I mean, it's, Jesus, it's a... It so there's a guy team. there now just going through shit? I don't know. Because they sent Matt, who's <laughs> yeah. in Chicago, yeah. over there to go through all the English, all the stuff that they got. Yeah. All the, you know, it had all gone back to a locker over there. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly where. But uh, it's all now Warner Brothers, so it all went to a Warner Brothers-led locker somewhere. Yeah. So he says, so I went, okay, fine. He gets on a plane, goes over. And he goes in this big locker and he looks up at this one shelf and it said Terry Reed on the third shelf, you know, above 
the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. You know, that's on the other show. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I meant that respectfully. But yeah, yeah. You know. Sure. But um, so he looks up and he goes, and he said, I could, what's, and he's like, Terry, 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 Terry. This whole row, right across the whole room, of endless two-inch, two-inch masters, yeah. you know, tapes. Yeah. And then a whole bunch with them of uh, half-inch, you know, yeah. master mixes. Yeah. And he's going, oh, I've got me work cut out here. What the hell? So he pulls, he starts pulling them down, looking for the the albums that were going to be on this four-box set that mm-hmm. they, they pressed out a four-box set, right? Uh, a four-album box set. And uh, so he found them, and as he's looking through, he's going, what is this? Right? There's another master and another and another yeah, and yeah. another yeah. mixes. So he thought, you know, while I'm at it, I think I'll I think I'll go and play a couple of these and see what's on them. You know, you never yeah, know. Right. And he said it went on and on and on, and he found 24 pieces of material that he says I was go bopping away and groovy going. This Terry, what happened to this, right? Yeah. And uh, so he called me up and said, "I put them on a CD. I'm going to fly out to here to California." Have you heard them? I went, well, I did when I did them, but that's a long while ago. What are these? Well, a lot of them were just box titles because we, you know, we didn't use them, so we never got that far. So he came out and played them, and within a couple of coughs or a breath into the beginning, I'd go, oh, I know what this is. (laughs) (laughs) And it all comes rushing back to you. So ironically enough, he said, well, I tell you what, I would, you know, I think you should put it out as an album. So we got together and worked it out with Light in the Attic in the end, right? Yeah. And uh, voila. So now it's coming out, and they're all outtakes. This is just outtakes from the river. Yeah. These outtakes from See the Memory, but not as many. Not It was a lot more concise working with Graham. Anyway. All right, let's stick the cans on. Let's see if we can make this sound yeah. right. Oh, 
I'm having trouble with life and the trouble part of me. That is beautiful, man. There you go. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing it. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. Real honor to yeah. talk to you. Oh, no. To Good you, luck with it, man. Yeah. That was exciting. A master, a great rock and tour, a great musician, a great singer, great, uh, great life he's living. And I, and I love that I did not sense any darkness or bitterness. And I'm telling you, even when he was having a smoke out there, I got a Mark Boland story. I mean... I guess it could have went on for a while, but uh, maybe I'll have him back, uh, Terry Reed.
more than 